Hi, my name's Josh, and I'm so glad that you're joining us on our Grace Church podcast. At Grace Church, we are all about knowing God and reflecting His way. I hope this sermon will do just that, by feeding your mind with the knowledge of God and engaging your heart to live a life reflecting His grace and truth. For the last week or so, we've been giving you a handout that looks like this. At the top, it says, Enemies of God, and then it lists five topics on the side. Enemies of God is our theme for Lent, and the five topics are the subjects we'll be covering in our sermons. You may notice that the first one listed is Satan. And really, given the theme, that shouldn't be a surprise. If I were to ask you who the enemies of God were, you would probably say Satan first, be your first answer. Maybe Satan and demons, or Satan and the spiritual forces of evil, or something like that. And you would be right. Satan and his demons are enemies of God. They're not really enemies we're comfortable talking about, though. If we believe in them, talking about them makes us afraid. And if we don't believe in them, the topic makes us really uncomfortable. My first real experience with anything demonic, at least that I know of, was when I was nine years old. I woke up suddenly from a deep sleep with a strong sense of dread. Now, my older sister and I used to share a bedroom, and we had bunk beds. She slept on the bottom, and I slept on the top, because I was the youngest, so I got what I wanted. So, when I woke up in the middle of the night, I was on the top bunk, lying on my side, facing the wall. I had this sense of dread that there was something behind me in the room. After a moment of lying there, I turned around. And there it was, standing in the middle of my room. It looked kind of like a solid shadow and was roughly human-shaped but its head was wrong. It started to turn toward me, and that was all I saw. Some of you may have had similar experiences, but my guess is you haven't. In my experience, those sorts of events are much more common in places like Kenya, where the spiritual world is more widely believed in and more openly acknowledged. In the U.S. and in the West in general, it seems like Satan takes a different approach. His tactic here, in some ways, is more dangerous because it's more subtle. Here, he relies far more on stoking our existing temptations and luring our desires away from God. It starts with a small desire to, to treat yourself or a little bit of jealousy, or very natural fear, and it ends up as consumerism, lust, elitism, racism, and a dozen other isms. If we don't catch them, they seep into our lives and spread until it is hard to distinguish where we end and the isms begin. Ungodly thought patterns play out in our actions and choices completely unchecked. 
because Satan has nurtured them so subtly. Don't get me wrong. The Bible is clear that some temptations arise from our own sinful desires and have nothing to do with the devil. We don't need help sinning. We got that covered. So don't blame all your problems on him. But the Bible is also clear that, like in today's gospel reading, Satan does tempt people. Have you ever considered, have you ever wondered if the commercial that makes you desperately want something you don't really need, the commercial for conspicuous consumerism or conspicuous leisure, might actually be demonic? Have you ever considered that the need to keep up with the Joneses at all costs might be from the enemy? Or that the whole industry of pornography, the industry that you buy into when you click on that link, is satanic? Because it is. Anything that is not of God is either directly from God's enemy or at the very least draws us closer to Satan than it does to God. It's not that we don't have the roots for those desires within us. It's that Satan stokes the sinful desires we already have, and he twists and distorts our good desires to tempt us with sinful ways of achieving them. In our gospel reading today, Satan tries to do just that with Jesus. We know that Jesus was without sin, so he had no sinful desires. But Satan sees the good desires Jesus has, and he presents a twisted, distorted way to meet those desires, a way that would lead Jesus into sin if he gave in to that temptation. In the first temptation, we already know that Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days. Of course he's hungry. He is literally starving. And there's nothing sinful in hunger. God made our bodies, and he made them to be fueled with food. He gave us hunger to help us know when to feed ourselves, when to refuel. Hunger, in that sense, is a gift from God. But the devil comes and offers a twisted answer to that good desire for food. He says, make some bread. You can do it. You're God's son. What is twisted about making bread when he's hungry? What is sinful about not starving? If Jesus followed Satan's suggestion, he would be using his divine power for his own benefit instead of in obedience to the Father or in pursuit of his mission on earth. Food isn't sinful, but food that leads us away from obedience to the Father is, and so is the abuse of power for personal gain. The second temptation is in the same vein. Satan offers Jesus reign over all the kingdoms of the earth. Here's the thing. That is actually part of the Father's will for Jesus. We know from the Bible that in the end, Jesus will rule over all the earth. So what could be wrong 
with Jesus's desire to step into that call and that role that the Father has for him. Nothing is wrong with the desire, but the means the devil offers are very, very different from how the Father plans to achieve it. Satan offers to give Jesus the rulership, but that position, that power and authority is only supposed to come from the Father. In John 3, 35, Jesus says, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. And in Matthew 28, after Jesus' resurrection and right before his ascension, he tells his followers, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. For Jesus to accept the devil's offer would be for him to give the devil the Father's place. He would be stepping away from the Father and aligning himself with God's enemy. And that is actually the exact condition of the devil's offer, that Jesus worship him. The final temptation is similar. Satan takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple, highest point, and suggests Jesus throw himself off, quoting scripture, actually, to argue that angels will rescue Jesus. If Jesus did that, if he threw himself off the temple and landed safely in the sight of all the worshipers and all the priests and all the temple leadership, the very people who would later fight to have him executed, surely no one would have doubted that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus could have shortcut all the times when people rejected him and get straight to the part where every knee would bow and every tongue confess. The desire for everyone to know who he is is a good desire, but the shortcut that bypasses the very death and resurrection that saves all who believe, that would not have been good. It would have been stepping outside the will of the Father and moving away from him. All of Jesus' desires are good. So Satan tries all three times to subtly, and sometimes not so subtly, exploit those desires and lead Jesus into sin away from the Father. To give in to temptation would have been to side with God's enemy. To give in to temptation is always to commit treason against God. In our own lives, sometimes temptation is obvious. Like when the devil says, worship me. Pretty obvious. Your, your mouse might hover over the link and you could just click on it. Or you notice that the biggest item you bought didn't show up on your receipt. Well, that's the cashier's fault, right? Or you messed up big time. And if you tell one little lie, no one has to know. Those temptations are pretty easy to spot, though that doesn't necessarily make them less tempting. But the subtle temptations, like the one Jesus faced with the bread, the ones that seem harmless or expedient, those ones are much harder to catch until it is too late. And often, those are the very ones that are the work of Satan. Ask yourself, where is Satan at work in your life? 
Is it in the places or moments of darkness, like I experienced as a child? Or is it in temptation? Where are the obvious temptations? And where are the subtle ones? What has taken over your life? What drives you more than God? Where is God's enemy at work in your life? And by the way, I guarantee you he is. On the reflection card you got, there's a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. In a sense, the two types of attacks Satan uses against Christians, the, the subtle and the direct, mirror those two risks. To disbelieve opens us up to being tempted and manipulated by Satan without us ever even realizing it. To be too interested in the enemy, on the other hand, opens us up to the fear and intimidation of a direct attack. At the beginning of the sermon, I told you about just such a direct attack when I saw a demon. I stopped my story at the point where I saw it and it started to turn toward me. Let me tell you how that encounter ended. When I saw it starting to turn, I did what any nine-year-old would do. I ducked under the covers. <laughs> and I started praying like crazy. It was something like, Jesus, please protect me. Jesus, please protect me, over and over and over again. Same exact words, over and over. I must have been under there at least half an hour, but it felt like hours. The dread that I had felt when I woke up, it eased after a few minutes, but the fear of what I had just seen stayed. So I kept praying. When I finally risked a peek, my room was empty again. What strikes me most about my experience now is how long that fear stayed with me. I never saw that demon again. And that one time I saw him, all he did was stand in my room and turn around. But the fear, the fear stayed. I was afraid of the dark for years. And sometimes, even now, it hits me. Fun? Not at all. Easy? Not really. Neither is wrestling with temptation. But here's the thing. That demon didn't harm me. I belonged to God, so that fear was misplaced. We belong to God, so we have nothing to fear. And the subtle attacks, we can't be forced to give in to temptation. God hasn't abandoned us just to deal with either type of attack on our own, temptation or intimidation. Check out the back of that reflection card. There's a Bible verse there, really a passage, from the book of Ephesians. It talks about the armor of God. 
God has equipped and empowered us, not just to defend ourselves, but to fight back. Notice that those verses talk about the sword of the Spirit. A sword is a weapon. God fights for us. When once we identify where the enemy is working in our lives, we don't have to just put up with it. We can fight back. How? Well, just like Jesus did. You scripture says the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. You scripture. Use prayer. Jesus gets it. He's been there. Ask him for help. And this goes for both types of attacks, temptation and intimidation. When we encounter moments of darkness or spiritual heaviness or actually see demons, what can we do? Pray, quote scripture. When we are wrestling with temptation, when it feels like sin is winning, what can we do? Same answer, pray, quote scripture. And I'll take it a step farther. Where is the enemy at work in our community? Are there places of darkness or sin? Are there places of fear or temptation? Are we on the offensive there? If not, why not? He who is in us is stronger than he who is in the world. Pray, quote scripture. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The gates of hell will not prevail. And glory be to God, who has won the victory over our enemy for us. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To find out more about what's going on here at Grace Church, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on our website, graceocala.org, or, of course, on our campus here in sunny Ocala, Florida. Go in peace.